Join us this Sunday as Pastor Shauna continues our sermon series, God Questions, answering the question, is God in control? With a message from 1 Samuel. kids are going out, hear the word of the Lord today from 1 Samuel chapter 8, 4 through 22. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, there will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard, had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then said to the people of Israel, each of you return home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Miranda. Our God listens to us even when we do not listen to him. I'm going to say a phrase that I'm sure you've heard before. And I want to ask you uh, what exactly your response is to that. Uh, If you are watching online, you can even type it in the comments. If you're here, maybe turn and tell the person next to you. The phrase is this. God is in control. Just take a moment to pause and think, what is your response and reaction? Because I bet we probably have very different responses and reactions to that phrase today. So just take a minute to think about it. 
And if you so choose, maybe turn and tell somebody next to you, what, what's your response to that? All right, some of you are not quite sure. You're like, I think there's a wrong answer to this and I don't want to get it wrong. There will not be a pop quiz at the end, I promise. As I was sorting through different memes about God being in control this week, I realized that there's basically two different reactions to this. The first looks something like this. The first reaction is one of comfort and peace, right? Don't we all want to be touchdown baby in this world? Like, that's what we want to be, right? That I woke up, God is in control. The first reaction is a reaction of peace, reassurance, that as crazy and chaotic as this world might seem, at least God is in control. Or if you can see the one down in the, in the bottom right-hand corner there, I don't know if you can see, but there's a guy on a boat snoozing and taking a nap surrounded by what look like shark fins, Right? And he says, when you know the evil is all around you and God is in control, just taking a nap. That looks like a, I don't don't know if that's peaceful or terrifying. I'm not sure. Uh, Mr. Willy Wonka's cut up there. It basically says, this is how, you know, you look when you know that God is in control. So this seems to be the first response that some people have to this phrase. The second response is something more like this. And I will say, TCC does not endorse any of the products that might appear on these memes. (laughs) Talking about the Corolla, of course. Um, I I don't always say God is in control, but when I do, it's because something bad happened. Uh, This scroll of memes is basically reflecting the fact that some people hear that, and instead of feeling comforted or at peace, they feel skeptical, right? It feels skeptical, like how in the world could God be in control? I don't know if you can see it, but in the bottom right-hand corner, the bumper sticker says, relax, God's in control, but the car's clearly been hit and the trunk is popped out, right? That seems to be the the second response to hearing that God is in control, this response of skepticism. Like if there is this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-controlling being that is arranging every facet of our life, like chess pieces on a chessboard, gaming this out over thousands and thousands of years, then how is it that Nolensville Pike is still one lane for so many miles, you know? Like, how does that work? If you remember last week, as Pastor Tim and I started off this sermon series, we said that asking God questions was a task that we do in relationship. That we are asking these questions in relationship because our faith is about deepening our relationship with God and not just arriving at a destination where we finally have all the answers and can stop asking hard questions. And so today we want to approach this in that same uh, in that same sense, asking this question in relationship with God. So we're going to invite you into the story that Miranda read for us this morning. Into this story, we want to introduce you to some of the characters in the story, the location of the story. And so we'll start with this story in 1 Samuel. The setting of the story, it's not mentioned there, but the setting is the promised land. And the main characters in the story are God and the people of Israel, God's chosen people. 
And they're in the promised land, the, the land that God had promised to them generations before. God promised it to them, but it took a long time to get there. And so we know already reading this story, we know that God fulfills God's promises, right? But it took over 400 years to get there. There were 400 years of slavery in Egypt and then 40 years wandering in the wilderness with Moses. And now they're finally in this land of their own. Scripture tells us this land flowing with milk and honey, this good place where they can raise their children and grandchildren, where they can plant fields and vineyards and finally be the light to the nation that God promised them they would be. Now, they weren't strong enough, smart enough, big or bold enough to get to this promised land on their own. God led them there. In fact, God cleared the way for them to get there. God made a way for them to arrive in the promised land when they couldn't have done it on their own. God made a way out of slavery, parted the Red Sea so that they could walk right through it, fed them in the wilderness, defeated their enemies in this new land, and now they're finally here. They can put away their tents and start unpacking the RV. They're building houses and neighborhoods. They're, they're planting trees. And I bet they're really hoping that some of these trees are going to grow up to get really big, like mighty oaks by the river where their kids and grandkids can all carve their initials and they can look back generation after generation and see how God has blessed them but it all still feels so insecure and so fragile. Because after all the years of waiting to finally get to this place, they know that they are one natural disaster, one raid by the Philistines, one fout or drought or famine away from losing it all it still feels so fragile and insecure. And so they go to Samuel, the, the prophet and judge that God has anointed and appointed for his duties. And they say, excuse us, Samuel, we know that you've been talking to God and that this God is the one who freed us from our slave masters and walked us through the Red Sea on dry ground and fed us in the wilderness, gave us water in the desert, defeated our enemies and gave us judges like you. But we'd really like a king now. Man, the nerve, right? The nerve. God's response to this still just floors me and kind of convicts me because God is still working on my attitude for a variety of things. I was thinking a little bit about this. Um, I love breakfast. Anybody else just breakfast people? I know you're either a breakfast person or you don't even know what breakfast is because you just sleep right through that, but I, I love breakfast and I love sleeping. This is the great tension in my life. I love breakfast and I love sleeping, but most mornings breakfast wins out. And, and I get up early, uh, I get up as, as early as I can and uh, I'll wake up, get the coffee on, go downstairs, let the dog out who's whining at the back door. I peek in the fridge to see what we've got, what would make a good breakfast for the family that morning. 
get some sausage sizzling in the frying pan and a big pot of oatmeal on the stove. And, and as that is all cooking and, and simmering, I get some bowls out on the table, make sure that Callan's got the orange juice that he likes and Evelyn has the apple juice that she likes. Of course, they could not like the same kind of juice. That'd be too easy. And make sure that we've got the blueberries out and the walnuts that Tim really likes on his oatmeal. And then I call the family down to breakfast two times, three times, four times. Breakfast is ready. Now, this might sound like I'm an awesome mom. This is completely selfish, I promise you. My family does not want to eat breakfast with me in the morning. They would be thrilled if I would buy them Pop-Tarts. They would be thrilled with that. But I want a big breakfast, and it makes me feel better to have, like, my family all gathered around for this breakfast. So please, don't think that I'm an awesome mom. So we gather around the table, though, that I've set with this breakfast that I've made, and, and we gather around the table, and I put oatmeal into each of the kids' bowls, and we're ready to have this sweet family time before we send them all off for the day. And one of them looks down in their bowls and says, how come you never make grits anymore? <laughs> to which I want to respond, oh, you want grits? You want grits? I'll give you something to grit about. God is still working on my heart and attitude. Amen. You have permission to be a work in progress. It is clear to me that God has given me authority, that has given Tim and I authority to raise and care for, guide and instruct our children, but not to control them. Control went out the window many, many breakfasts ago. But when I think about God's response to the way Israel responded to all that God had given them, I just, it's hard to even fathom. You see, Samuel hears Israel ask for a king and he is mad and frustrated. He wants to give it to them. But do you see this relationship that God has with Israel? If God wanted to just control Israel, he would have said, you want a king? I'll give you something to king about, right? He could have said, no, I, you, you can't have a king. I didn't give you a king for a reason. So trust that and don't question me, you peons. <laughs> but instead, God tells Samuel, Samuel, Listen to them. Now, I don't think that what God is saying, well, just listen to them, you know, and just lead by popular demand. Whatever public opinion is, that's what we'll give them. I don't think that's what God is saying here. I think God's saying, no, Samuel, listen to them. Hear their cries. Like, hear the deep fears and insecurities that they have about being one catastrophe away from losing it all. Samuel, listen to them. 
Listen not just to what they're asking for, but listen to what is deeper than what they are asking for so that together over a long-suffering, patient ministry to them, we can show them that what they want is, always, is not always what they need. And so instead of taking control of Israel, God shows Israel loving sovereignty. You see, there's a difference between control and sovereignty. Sovereignty is a biblical term. If it's unfamiliar to you, I know it's a term that probably doesn't pop up in your everyday vocabulary. Sovereignty is a biblical term that describes one who has authority. It's describing someone who has authority over a place or a people. It often is used in scripture to describe a king or a queen who reigns. Oh, there it is. Uh, to, to describe a king or a queen who reigns. In fact, you'll notice that reign is literally in the term sovereign. To, to reign or to rule over is what this word means. And it's describing one who has agency or power to give order and goodness to a place. This is the biblical term sovereignty. It describes this kind of rule or reign. Sovereignty is different from control. Anyone who has been in any kind of leadership position, whether you're teaching second graders or leading a Fortune 500 company, can tell you that having authority is not the same as having control. Can I get an amen? <laughs> now, control is often, a, a need to control is, is often a response to fear or insecurity. And, and needing that kind of complete control, it excludes participation and collaboration. You can't invite other people to be a part of this. That would be way too messy, Right? It excludes participation and collaboration, and it relies on force and coercion or manipulation. In fact, the need to control has often been the downfall of many leaders and organizations. And so sometimes in Christian circles, I, I think that when we're hearing the term sovereignty, what we're really hearing is control. In fact, the question that was actually submitted, if you submitted a question for this series, you might have noticed that we kind of tweaked the questions a little bit. We tweaked them so that they would be more understandable at a broad level. The question that was actually submitted was, I think the exact words are, what's up with God's sovereignty? <laughs> and so I think when we think about sovereignty, we're often thinking about control. And I'm guessing that the person who submitted this question is perhaps not so much troubled by the idea that God has rule and authority, that God has power and agency to bring order and to bless life, but I'm guessing that the questioner is really struggling with control. When we imagine that God is this divine chess master, this divine chess master, and we are all just pawns in God's game, it either brings us comfort because, hey, I'm not responsible if this game ends up a mess, or it makes us skeptical. And to point a finger and to say, wow, this game is really a mess. But in 1 Samuel, 
in 1 Samuel, the story that we see, and I think the story that we see throughout Scripture is not a story of a world that has gone out of control. It is not a story of a God who is out of control, but it's also not a story of a controlling God. It's the story of a sovereign God. It's the story of a God who is sovereign, whose power and strength is so wonderful, whose provision is so perfect, whose patience and wisdom is so deep, whose heart of love is so immense that God doesn't need to take control and to treat these people that God loves like pawns in a chess game. This God is sovereign. And sovereignty is defined in relationship to these people. If you remember back in the Genesis story of God's creation, God created a people, the very first humans, Adam and Eve, and he gave them a kind of sovereign rule over the garden. He invited them to name animals and to take care for and tend for the land and the garden. And, and then when God meets Abraham, God enters this covenant with him and says, I will be your God and you will be my people, establishing this relationship where God will be the sovereign God and we will be the people who come under God's rule and reign in this world. God has power and agency to care for this world just like God gave agency to Adam and Eve to care for the garden. And so in 1 Samuel, we see the same God and his sovereign rule over Israel, God's chosen people. They don't have a king. God didn't give them a king to control them like the other nations do. They don't need a king like that because they have a God who is in relationship saving God's people. And yet, they ask for a king anyways. They ask for a king anyways. This always fascinates me. When you have a sovereign God with all authority and power and agency to bring thriving life to your people, to protect your land, why on earth would you ask for a king? And so God even tells them. God has Samuel go back and remind them, Samuel, be sure you tell them just exactly what a king will do if we give them this king. Tell them what a king will do, Samuel. Tell them that a king won't just rule over you. A king won't just take the divine authority that I grant to them to bring order and to use power to bless life. No, a king will take your crops and your oil, will take your sons and your daughters. A king won't just be sovereign over you. A king will control you. And even after God explains this to them, they still say, yep, yes, thank you very much. That is exactly what we want. Thanks for describing that. Um, we will take one of those, please. But I got to be fair with Israel. I mean, to be fair with Israel, they've got the Philistines living right next door. I mean, do you know about the Philistines? They're big, 
and they're strong and they've been in this land a lot longer. They're intimidating and they won't stop raiding Israel. I mean, it seems like every chapter in the book of Samuel, there's another raid that the Philistines are running on the land of Israel doing something either really obnoxious or really dangerous. And it feels like the entire time they have been in this promised land that they waited for so long to inhabit, they have been on the defensive. I mean, constantly something is coming at them and they always have to have their guard up. It feels like they have to defend their way of life, like they have to defend the Ark of the Covenant. They have to defend their land and it's getting exhausting. When the world feels out of control and chaotic, when it feels like enemies are surrounding you, the idea that you can appoint someone else to have control over everything is really comforting. And God listens to them. God listens to them, listens to these short-sighted, ungrateful people. God listens to them, even though they're not listening to God. And much like theologian named Mildred Bangs Winecoop says, she, she describes God that the reigning attribute of God is love. And I tell you this because of all the attributes that God has, God has a lot. Attributes that God has like sovereignty, holy, just, powerful, merciful, mighty of all the attributes of God. For those of us who are in what the Church of the Nazarene is in, the Wesleyan tradition, we affirm that all of these attributes are really reigned over by God's love. They are directed by the love of God. All of them are ordered and organized according to God's love. Now, there are other traditions that see this very differently. I will just say that, all right? There are other Christian brothers and sisters who are part of the kingdom of God who would disagree with me on this point. In fact, I came really close to putting a quote in here by one of those brothers and sisters to give you a comparison, uh, just to know that this is different than the way some others would describe. But I took that quote out honestly because, well, I don't need to set up a straw man for you to tell you how bad the other version of the story is. Our story is really good. Like it is such good news that the love of God is invading this world and that all of God's might and power and sovereignty is directed through God's love for us. And there is nothing that God won't do to stop from loving us, right? Like that's such good news. So I'm going to let our dear brothers and sisters, they can preach at their churches and, and have their word. But here today, we recognize that God's love is sovereign and it is reigning and ruling over everything. And so God listens to them when they say, we want a king. And God says, you want a king? I will give you a king but he doesn't say it with the tone that I sometimes take at the breakfast table with my children. 
he says it with sovereign love. And you see, I just have to imagine, I firmly believe that way back when the people of Israel are asking for a king and Samuel is anointing a man named Saul, who is Israel's first king, I firmly believe that God, even at that moment in divine sovereignty, was already preparing the way for another king named Jesus. You're welcome to join us online at 8.45, but beginning with our virtual King Jesus lives, wouldn't be anointed in a palace like or a temple or surrounded by a bunch of officials. King Jesus in John chapter Pike. 11 and 12 is anointed in a house in a town called Bethany in the home of a man named Lazarus. And you see, Lazarus was this disciple who Jesus loved. This disciple who Jesus loved so so much, in fact, that when Lazarus died at an early age, Jesus stood there at his tomb with his sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus wept over him. Jesus stood there and wept out of grief and love for this disciple who was gone too early. And then he walks up to the tomb and he says, roll the stone away, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus raises up to new life. But understand that Jesus could have stood there while everybody else is crying and says, what's your problem? Wipe your tears. I've got control here. But instead, Jesus joins them in the weeping and he calls Lazarus to come out. And so when he is anointed shortly after that in this house in Bethany, it is by Lazarus's sister, Mary, who is so moved with gratitude at King Jesus who just raised her brother from the dead. And how do you say thank you for that? I mean, how do you say thank you that my brother who was once dead is now alive? Like, what do you even give to to show that kind of gratitude. And so Mary comes with this jar of expensive perfume that is probably all that she has. And she breaks, like Pastor Jordan has reminded us, not a little bit of it, she breaks the whole thing out. She spills all of it out, anointing King Jesus so that the whole room is filled with the scent of perfume. This lavish gratitude that she shows. And there's another disciple in the room who says, Mary, what a waste of perfume. You just broke that whole thing out. You really should have a little more control, Mary. But when you are in the presence of the sovereign king given to us by a God who listens when we are crying out and uses his power to bring life where there is death, who cares about who has control? In fact, you ought to be uncontrollably grateful in that moment. You see, the love of God, hear this, the love of God does not create chaos, but it does inspire uncontrollable gratitude. What does it look like to reflect that kind of sovereign love to the world? not to take a posture of control, but to reflect God's sovereignty in the world. I had a spiritual mentor once comment on something that I was going through in my life, and she said, Shauna, it sounds like you are finding sovereignty. And I said, oh, whoa, heretic. <laughs> 
so grateful for my spiritual mentors. It's amazing they stick with me. I said, no, 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 no. God is sovereign, not me. And she said, oh, no, 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 I didn't say that you were sovereign, Shauna. But don't you believe that you are made in his image? Don't you believe that you are made in the divine image of God? And that made me think for a long time. It didn't sit well with me at first, but, but if God is not controlling, if God is sovereign and inviting my participation, then I am not just made to sit back like the guy in the boat surrounded by sharks, right? Like I am actually made and called in the power of the spirit to bring order where there is chaos and life where there is death and light where there is darkness. That's what we're made for. That's what you're made for. That's what God made you for. And God is listening to you today. Now, next week, Pastor Tim is going to tackle the question, if God is good, why do bad things happen? And I'm trying real hard not to dip my toe in that water just yet. But we all know today. We all know that we are not in control of a lot of things in this world. There's a lot of things that feel like they are out of our control. We can't control the choices that other people make. We can't control natural disasters or disease. There's a lot in this world that feels like it is out of our control. But we serve a sovereign God who works for the good of those who love him and work according to his purposes. Amen. We serve a sovereign God, and that means that this world does not have control over you. Did you hear that? This world doesn't have control over you. And that means that other people don't have control over you, that circumstances in life don't have to have control over you, that you have been set free to live in the sovereign reign of God's love. And as I woke up this morning just early praying for each of you bringing this message today, I've just felt like God was saying that somebody needs to hear that word freedom today. To walk in the freedom that God is giving you, to walk in this relationship with God to a deeper place that is beyond control, that is freedom in God's sovereign reign. See, true freedom is not doing whatever you want because God reminds us that what we want is not always what we need. True freedom is being created in the image of God and living fully and truly into that identity. And that is the freedom that God is inviting you into today. Now we said last week that we wanna keep asking good questions. Some questions for you to reflect on this week as we keep questioning. How do you tend to respond when life feels out of control? What kind of response does that trigger for you when life feels out of control? Does it put you in a posture of trusting God or does it put you in a place of wanting to take control? And then when was the last time that you became controlling or felt controlled, basically stepping out of the freedom that God created you for, right? 
can you really love someone who you are controlling or someone who is controlling you? I mean, if the reigning attribute of God is love, right, reflect on that. Ask yourself, what does that kind of love really look like? And then is there any part of your life today that doesn't reflect this kind of sovereign love of God, where you don't have the kind of freedom that God has created you for? And I might ask as a counter to that, I should have put that in here, but is there a part of your life that really does reflect that sovereign love that you could celebrate today and give God thanks for because you are experiencing that freedom even now? And then today, maybe I want, the last question, is there a place in this world where even now God is drawing your heart, your mind, and your attention, where death and chaos are controlling children of God? I mean, is there maybe a burden that God is laying on you today? And as we go to this time of prayer, Pastor Tim's going to lead us in a time of prayer. I would just invite you These altars are a really great place to find freedom. The altars are a place where we often have come and said, Lord, I I surrender needing to have control (laughs) over this situation. I surrender needing to have control in this area of my life. I invite your sovereign rule and reign over my life today. Before we go to prayer, I also, hey, Pastor Ashley, I'm going to invite you to come back in. And Pastor Ashley and Pastor Jordan were ordained this last week. And I'd love it if you might just even find a place here at the altars. Because what happened in ordination was the church affirmed that God, in God's sovereign authority, invited you to participate in that invited you to participate in that and to, as the general said over you, to take thou authority in the church. And we know that that authority doesn't look like control, but it does look like bringing order to chaos and life where there is death and light where there is darkness. And we see that in both of you. So I wanna ask you to find a place at the altar in church. We just wanna pray over them that God would continue to use them and bless them with that kind of divine authority. This isn't just for them today, though. If, if God is calling you into a place of freedom and you just need to come and find a place to surrender control to a sovereign God today, would you come? Would you come and find a place to pray as Pastor Tim leads us? If you want to come and give thanks for the way that God has poured out freedom, come now. And if maybe something has resonated with you today where you are saying, I want that kind of freedom, I know that God has created me in God's own image, but it's not done yet, and I want more of that, there's a place of freedom and renewal and healing and recreation right here. You're welcome to come and to find a place of prayer. You're welcome to come because God has not stopped doing whatever God needs to do to love you, to love you, to make you new and to make you in God's image. As a matter of fact, Mary broke open everything that she had, not because she was fantastic, but because God had broken open everything God was for her. And so if you want to come and to sit in that today, there's a place for you. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, gracious and holy God, 
we're thankful that you have not abandoned us, that the world that is broken, that the world that is groaning, that the world that is not as it should be has been invaded by your love, that you are a God who has not held anything back, but you have given yourself entirely and fully for us. And so, Father, as your children, we come to you today and we say thank you for opening yourself to us. We accept this. And though we come today asking that you would not stop working on us, though we come confessing to you that we are not as we're supposed to be, though we have recognized in ourselves today that there is something out of step with who you are, we come humbly recognizing that you can heal us, that you can orient us to who you are, that because you have broken open everything of who you are, we can become everything you have created us to be, and we accept that today. Father, if there are any who are gathered here today who have just not had the chance yet to accept that kind of love, who have never really sat with the good news that the sovereign God loves them, would you be especially near today? Would you open their hearts to reflect that love, to accept that love, to be reoriented by that love and renewed in that love and recreated in your love? Thank you for that sovereign love today. We ask not out of a sense of demanding, but out of a sense of trust in your sovereignty today that you would not let us leave this place until we have been blessed by your renewal today that we would sit in this sense of humble begging. Don't let us leave here the same people we were. Send us away as a more faithful reflection of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful for all the things that you have done to pour out healing and renewal in your world. We're thankful that you have called men and women into the service of your church. And so we pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit yet again upon Jordan, upon Ashley. We thank you for the blessing of their ordination. We thank you that the church has seen fit and that they have responded to your call and faithfulness. In gratitude, we ask for your blessing. That, Father, where a response of calling to your, your voice would cause them pain, that you would protect them from that pain that you would remind them that you are with them in the midst of it. And for the blessings, the many joys that come from calling other people into this renewal life of your kingdom, we ask that you would give them a deep sense of rejoicing that would resound every time there was struggle along the path. We ask that you would raise the church up around them, that you would give us the wisdom to know when to come alongside of them and to pray for them and to hold their arms up as... They mediate your faithfulness as priests, as prophets in the midst of a broken and groaning world. And Father, we ask that you would help them to move us, that they would take authority to speak to the church and to remind us time and time and time again that this is where your son has gone and we need to join him there too. And so for all of the places where your son is moving the church today, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask that you would empower and embolden those who are doing the work of your kingdom in the city of Nashville. We pray for our partner ministries today and those who are given authority to mediate your presence in those places. 
Bless them, we ask, and remind them that they are not doing their work but yours to release control and to move in the rhythms of your son according to your spirit. Father, we're grateful for all of these things. We pray for your blessing upon these and for the healing of your world. And we pray that you would ask us to move in those rhythms as well. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon the elements we are about to receive, O oh God, and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Make these elements be for us the body and the blood of Christ so that as we feast upon them in just a few moments, that the world will be able to feast upon your body in us. Move us into your world, we ask. Make us the agents of your new creation in the likeness of your son Jesus that those who might encounter us would see through us as windows into the blessing that you are pouring out upon us. Sanctify us in your truth and forgive us from our sins. Forgive us from the times that we have sought control and pulled away from your sovereignty. Move us, we pray. In the name of your son Jesus, who taught his disciples to pray, whose words are still on our lips today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.